and it's the dice are screaming. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, extra screams today. Mm -hmm. It's the 30th episode on the 30th of October. The All Hallows Eve before Hallows Eve. Yes. <laughs> Halloween has come. And it's a wonderful time for gamers mm -hmm. and for games in general. But that leads us to uh, our special topic. Oh, no. I won't give it to you yet. Oh. Tease. Tease. The Dance of Seven Veils while six are still in the wash. No. First... We have Collins. Collins, Collins, Collins. Larry Hamilton. Yeah, Larry Hamilton, that one-minute format just isn't doing it for you, but he's got do a uh, little Collins for us, and it's about our travel episode. So we'll hand it off to Larry and be right back after the break. Hey, fellas, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Enjoyed your Traveler episode. Um, didn't play a lot of Traveler back in the day. My introduction to Traveler was way back in high school. Uh, I was president of the Science Fiction Book Club. That's what we called it. So people didn't give us nonsense about D&D. &D. And we took turns playing different games. And one younger kid had Traveler. And he really liked it. But he was not good at explaining it. So it didn't hook the rest of us into it. And so... When Star Frontiers and other things were available, that's what we played. A uh, little trivia. I have the board game Imperium, which is based in the universe of Traveler. And then they also had a couple of DOS games, and I ended up getting one of the DOS games. I don't re remember what it's called, uh, but there's a lot of little side. Hello, Larry again. A minute just isn't quite enough. Um... I don't remember the name, but there was a science fiction, either short story or novel, or maybe series of novels, I'm not sure, that inspired the low passage and high passage, and I believe even used the term traveler. Uh, and so that's an influence that you can see in traveler. I tried looking it up, and I didn't find it in a quick search. Um, but there's that little aspect that, uh, not many know about, and I only know about it because I read a lot of different stuff online. Later. All right, everybody, that was Larry. Thank you. Yeah, and just ribbing you, Larry. I know that the one-minute format for us is really tough. That's why we don't get out and uh, give a lot of comments because we like to do it together. Yeah, it's so hard to squeeze that into like a one-minute format. It is literally just stifling. Uh, stifling my creativity, man. Oh, no. It, it's harsh in my vibe. <laughs> no. Yeah, but, you know, you're really right about the Traveler thing. Uh, it is kind of its own oeuvre. It's almost its own genre within the science fiction gaming genre. It actually transcends its own system. It's been translated into GURPS and other things. And that's the unique thing about Travelers, that the Age of the Third Imperium and the Spinward Marches campaign and all that, they loom pretty large. And uh, they have been translated in other systems, so its effect on gaming is felt, as well as some of the science fiction aspects of the High and Low Passage. I know what you're talking about because uh, me and Mike have been talking about some of the old science fiction novels and how 
the even the the cheap cheesy ones. What whoa, what was that one? Uh, the Traveler, which was post-apocalyptic. Oh, oh yeah. I can't even remember the the guy's name. It was written under a pseudonym because the actual author. <laughs> it was not in keeping with his usual style, but uh, it it might as well have been. Uh, uh, you know the what is it? The old pot boilers from uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Era. Uh, and it was just that respun as post-apocalyptic uh, Mad Max-esque uh, future fiction with the burnt-out wastelands and radioactive zones and a guy with a van full of guns that, uh, you know, <laughs> and whatever diesel he could squeeze out yeah. of anything he could find. Yeah, but, you know, uh, the the name, of course, was Traveler, but it had nothing to do with the game. No, no, that was an entirely different But, uh, you know, there were its effect of the Traveler game on... Uh, other parts, let's see, uh, the high and low passage or the cold birth. Well, and if you look at some of the early examples from uh, Judges Guild and uh, oh, some of the gaming magazines that were available at the end of the 70s, dawn of the 80s, uh, you know, traveler supplements or, or handwritten modules were being published even then. So, you know, it, it had this, it was there alongside everything else. Uh, you know, while the emphasis may often go to D and D and the 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 big, you know, it's the big one in the room, but uh, there published alongside were articles and modules for playing Traveler. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so we've got a lot of mileage out of it, and we're glad that everybody enjoyed it too. We definitely will be touching on Traveler and Star Frontiers and some other science fiction games in the future. Oh, sure. But we had a topic, and... Uh, oh, this, yeah. It's going to be Halloween superheroes, right? What, like Jack-O-Lantern Man? Yeah, yeah, the Halloweener. <laughs> you said wiener. No, I'm... Uh, you know, I, I, I hate leaving you in the lurch. I, I hate, like, stealing your thunder, because I, I see this expression of joy on your face, and I just feel like a bad person for taking that away but We're not, not exactly superheroes oh. so what are we doing then super monsters oh super monsters and scary, scary. creeps yeah we're going spooky and scary oh 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 uh, classic and weird alike and you know we're not we're not going to get micro this time uh this is not so much an episode about um uh, you know, adjudication and DMing, as it is a Halloween celebration uh, of the love of great monsters, uh, mm -hmm. old and new alike. Yeah, and D&D really uh, pruned the tree, both low-hanging fruit and the high-ups, of monsters. I mean, they went with classical types like the Chimera and the Hydra. And also branched out with things like, of course, you would be negligent if you didn't mention certain classical tropes like a vampire or a werewolf. Oh, yeah. They adapted the most archetypal, the, the most iconic monsters in human lore. Things that are cross-cultural. You know, that, that they're just a real part of the human consciousness, no matter where you come from. So D&D &D folded these into uh, game terms really quickly. They were right on that. Like, that's, you know, right out of Monster Manual 1, uh, 
first printing, you know, as fast as they could bang it out, there it was. Uh, they yeah. they latched hold of not only the classics from popular mythology, which, you know, certainly include the weird and unusual. I mean, you know. The Chimera. The Chimera, yeah. yeah. Periton. Oh, the, the Periton. Uh, or, you know, classic Medusa. Oh, the yeah. The head of snakes and the petrifying gaze. Wow. You know, that is just the stuff of... Uh, you know, creeping around a, a tomb that appears to be full of inexplicable statuary. And one wrong corner turn, one wrong glance, and bang! A player character being towed into town on the back of a guard. <laughs> yep. And yeah. not to mention, this, uh, anytime you see a statue that's lifelike, boy, that triggers <laughs> everything. could be a cockatrice, a basilisk, or a medusa. Or, or yeah. even a beholder, right? <laughs> And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the monsters of D&D, both classical, and uh, since it's Halloween, we will be spending some time talking about the vampire, and of course, the most famous vampire of all, oh. Count Strahd von Zadovich. Yes. Ravenloft. Highlighting one, uh, I basically would say that it's almost an homage to the you know, old uh, universal monsters, because there was a lot of creepy kind of uh, black and white vibe going on in there with the artwork and other things. But that was completely intentional, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you know, it's not a vampire-based campaign unless you've got an old gypsy giving you uh, advice, you know. <laughs> or and just right out of the movies and books, right out of pop culture. And, you know, like as we have so often said before, good DMs don't borrow, they steal. And... Ravenloft just riffed on all the right notes. It was a very fun campaign setting to do. You know, obviously, you, your degree of commitment determined whether you're going to spend six months gaming there or like six sessions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the original module um, had a lot of uh, the classic horror film tropes. You know, there was werewolves and, of course, a flesh golem and a laboratory and a bunch of witches cackling around a cauldron and all that. And, yeah, you know, uh, Count Strahd von Zarovich invites you for dinner. The bridge is washed out. I'm afraid you'll have to stay the night. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, It and as campy as it could be, well run, you know, Ravenloft has a lot going for it. So it was like one of those quintessential horror modules that really put D&D in its place of being able to do horror. Because most of the time, I kick the door down and I attack it while the vampire stares at you. Uh, I avoid his gaze. I hold out my buds of garlic and my holy symbol boldly. <laughs> you know, it was almost like rote. And Zarov Count von Zarovich was not your typical vampire. He really challenged a lot of the rules. More importantly, uh, the actual game materials uh, coached the DM to make the maximum possible use of Strahd von Zarovich's various powers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to make the most effective, uh, I, I hesitate to say challenge because so many times you were not meant to actually face him directly. It was designed to constantly tease and aggravate the players until the final confrontation was that much more exciting, which, uh, Again, as far as I'm concerned, that's great game writing. Yep. Anybody can take a note from that. If you get your paws on a copy of the old Ravenloft, uh, don't so much just read the material, but think about 
the style of play that they're setting up, that they're trying to make available to you. Uh, there are good hints to be taken from that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, more to the point, D&D, with its various, uh, with its love of monsters, was constantly creating new ones. And one of the things I think is great about Dungeons and Dragons is that if you can imagine it and stat it, it becomes, well, real for that moment. And, you know, when you spring a new monster on players, there's always that surprise factor. And, you know, while we're starting with a little celebration of the classics, because, you know, let, let's see, uh, uh, the weird will also be covered shortly. Oh, yeah. Um, another classic, the werewolf. Uh-huh. Yep. The Individually, not quite so terrifying on the old school base rules, but as a pack, super dangerous. Uh, you know? Yep, you're going to be sporting fangs and long hair before too long after facing a pack of werewolves out in the moors. Yeah, and there was uh, nothing against uh, werewolves being lycanthropes of uh, largely human stock. Being formerly leveled characters, mm-hmm. uh, which gave the DM some wiggle room to make them thoroughly butt-kicking machines that, aside from the obvious harm they could dole out, uh, they might have been limited by form uh, to their attack choices, but uh, a leveled character with a boatload of hit points who happens to be chewing on you like crazy, uh, sooner or later that guy might be able to do enough damage to a character to induce lycanthropy. Yep, and uh, and that was the scary part. If you don't have a uh, a good cure disease handy at the moment, uh, you might want to avoid um, silver for a while. Yeah, and also the slow progression into lycanthropy was well covered in uh, first edition, at least. And uh, others, you know... No, oh, especially the DM guide notes on lycanthropy. Those were fun to read. Uh, especially since they gave the amateur a good sense of how to play it out. This slow descent into madness and this, you know, hunger. Yeah, this inexplicable rage that explodes on the nights of the full moon. And uh, the next thing they know, you know, they're waking up naked in a haystack. Uh, covered in dead cow or whatever. Or dead friend. Yeah, or dead friends, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. that was the big thing about um, lycanthropy, that it was, a, yeah, not as intimidating as vampirism or other forms of, uh, you know, being killed by a white and you raise up as a uh, half-white or yeah, drained to death by a wraith or specter and uh, being a slave to them. Hey, that's how baby specters get made. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, other classic monsters, the mummy. Oh, yeah. I was just going to mention the mummy. The mummy. The mummy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Lon Chaney, the mummy. Uh, Yeah, the the disease. The almost incurable disease of rot and misfortune. Boy, uh, you really tear you up after a while if you're a long, (laughs) extended stay out in the desert. Yeah, if you've uh, tapped out some of your supplies and aren't given a convenient chance to rest, that mummy rot can take hold and be a real nuisance. Uh, And... Tougher DMs, you know, like I'm, I'm not advocating one way or another, uh, but harsher DMs may put characters in a circumstance where they don't have the luxury of safe rest and hours of healing time to get those spells back, and that's when it becomes truly unnerving to the players. Like, oh boy, this is not good. We 
you know, I, we've been interrupted three times when we've tried to rest, and I really need to cure disease, guys. <laughs> uh, there's some, you know, creepy factor right there. Uh, yeah. Not to mention it goes with the whole classic, you know, breaking into an ancient tomb, and, you know, they're inclined to pillage the contents of sarcophagi. Well, that's where mummies come in. Yep, and then giving a few levels of uh, cleric or other class levels to the mummy makes them pretty formidable as well. Although mummies aren't fond of fire spells. But. No, no, they do have their weaknesses too. Uh, a desiccated creature that just goes up like kindling. Just boop, whoosh. Oh yeah, it makes a nice warm, cozy fire. Like a Roman candle. Uh. <clears throat> they should have warning signs on them. Yeah. <laughs> uh. As if they don't need enough warning. Yeah, I know. Look out, it's a mummy. (laughs) But notice, like, uh, a lot of them, like the Spectre and the, uh, oh, um, the mummy, you know, they paralyze characters with just fright. Oh, yeah, that's right, the fear factor, uh, which is also a great aspect to riff on Mm -hmm. um, in any, like, monster versus players scenario is to, if they're still low enough level to be hit with that easily... Oh, yeah. Use it to maximum effect. Oh, yeah. Definitely put Spear in their henchmen or some of their followers. So that's also a big factor. But, you know, moving along with Classic, well, uh, we'd be negligent if we didn't mention uh, Mr. Romero's contribution to popular culture. Oh, the zombie. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, okay, singular or even in small groups, not that big of a deal. But. But. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, double but. You get about 40 or 50 of them, and they just keep coming. <laughs> yeah. There's only so many times you can swing that sword around, and they just crawl, keep coming and coming, and they just meet. Get at it Resident Evil style, okay? Uh, you know, where they're, <laughs> they're coming out of the walls. You know, just, No, or, well, you know, in that case, little aliens quote there. But uh, no, a crowd, a big horde. Uh, with the player characters backed into a corner or trapped in a particular room and the hallway is filled, you know, you're talking Walking Dead territory there. Yep. Uh, and, of course, if you're a real jerk and... Oh, now, come on. All right, I guess it's not complete jerk territory. This is the stuff that DMs should do. Uh, I have periodically uh, armored Simple Undead, uh, pre-assuming that their maker and controller has the ability to pacify them and, you know, have creatures uh, place armor upon them. Uh, There is no reason that they can't be made more resistant to harm. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Eugene. Um, Yep, that's that's a big uh, thing there, little tricks you can do. And also, another creepy one from Ray Harryhausen, a skeleton. Oh, now, see, that's just classic undead, you know, just... And I... In the finest of old-school traditions, uh, <laughs> players never really know if the skeleton's on the floor, the, if the dead, uh, the bones, they don't know if it's going to get up or not get up. It's about half the time it does and half the time it doesn't. You can't be sure with me. Uh, I'll have them encounter plenty of bone-filled rooms that result in no skeleton attacks. Uh, but every once in a while, they'll be like, Oh, well, you know, room full of skeletons, no big deal. And everything will start getting up off the floor after round one. And the next thing they know, they're surrounded. Uh, 
This is also especially fun if the party doesn't have a cleric with that good old-fashioned turn ability. Yeah, part of string. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's the big thing about skeletons is that they're not powerful, but they're spooky and they add a little element of surprise if you use them right. So, you know, those are pretty much... Oh, uh, shadows in a dark oh, yeah, room. Shadow yeah. attack. Dexterity draining shadow attack in a dark uh, hallway. Yeah. Or shadows. an area with enforced darkness where, you know, they're non-magical or not... Any non-powerful form of lighting is insufficient to break the darkness. And the shadows are at full strength. Oh, it's just just so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, which, probably not my... It doesn't say good things about my character that I look with such fondness upon the moments that player characters are tormented. I'm <laughs> not sure I'm entirely comfortable with my own evil. Oh, looking in the mirror, huh? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, that you get a look. Stare into the abyss too long and it looks back at you. Surprisingly, the abyss I find is pretty friendly. She's so, like, hi, how you doing? Hello. It's nice to meet you. Huh. It's not as, not as bad as you make it sound, but... I'm abyss. Well, it's I'm your job as a DM to uh, torment, haunt, and vex your players. So, you know, don't feel too bad about that. Uh, we already had our DM confession, so <laughs> probably do for a new one. Um, but that kind of that covers those big top tier classic pop culture monsters. Yeah, they, they're pretty firmly fixed in people's minds, and of course, the fear of the dead is a big thing. So there are a lot of undead Dungeons and Dragons. There's, you know, you could mention the ghost and oh, Wraith. The ghost. Yeah. yeah. Nothing like aging characters. 10, 10 to 40, 40 years. years. Yep. Say goodbye to your wonder years and hello to your golden oldies. Oh boy. Yeah. That way to put that fighter into the retirement home. Uh -huh. uh, I used to be an adventurer like you and took a, until I took a ghost to the aging category. Uh. Yeah, that... <laughs> Except for the elf who just laughs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I look yeah, over. It tickles. <laughs> what the hell are you guys worried about? So, yeah, there's a lot you could mention about those. But, you know, more importantly, I think that the biggest thing for player our players as they enter any area that's long forgotten or ruined, you can expect to meet undead at certain points. But uh, bringing out the creepy... Now, creepy, creepy stuff. Oh, boy. D&D yeah. did a good job because, you know, let's just talk about slimes and oozes and molds and fungus and other things that just ick factor. Yeah, you know. if your treasure lies somewhere up ahead and that hallway, you know, well, that brick looks awfully wet. Uh, you know, DM is under no obligation to describe things incredibly clearly. Uh, you know, if a guy's wandering down a hallway with uh, just infravision or a bit of torch, flickering torchlight, there's no real reason to indicate that they have a perfect view of everything and absorb exactly what's going on instantly. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, everything in this hallway looks faintly wet. Uh, and sure, that sounds innocuous enough. Oh, we're in a cave under the ground. It might just be water. Oh, no. Porch drainage techniques, you know. That's where the oozes start to come out. Yep. And, you know, the variety of them, it just says that you know, they really put forth a diverse 
collection of creatures so you can never be too sure what you're facing until you really get close to it. But, you know, black, ooh, or black pudding and uh, white pudding and uh, Dumb it's like Jell-O brand pudding um, <laughs> and uh, gelatinous cubes and things like that. Yeah, you know, they have definitely a, a creep factor, but uh, also they're unstoppable for the most part. You ha Once they lock on you, they're going to keep coming on. They're not smart and they're not intelligent, but they're just inexorable. Yeah. And they're undeterred by just common things. And especially since most of them are immune to fire in some way or another. Or other vagaries that you had to figure out. Like, what do you mean the ochre jelly splits in two? There are now two of them. You know, welcome to the blob or the thing. Yeah. You know, these are like pop culture things too. Uh, but, you know, the, the inexplicable ooze. Or yep. the unstoppable slime. Uh, green slime. Ooh. Now that's one that's a little more obvious to people because actual dripping green slime, uh, you know, sizzling. Blarp. Uh, that lands on a player character and, you know, that's curtains for them if they don't get it off of them. Scrape it off, quickly. get it off, get it off. Oh, it burns, it burns. Cauterize it. Uh, you know, that, that started a lot of early adventures with the first to third levelers. A, a spritz of that, and, you know, they're happy to have a team member, like, all right, burn it off with the torch. I'll take the damage. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, die six points of damage ah. from a burning torch to the arm. Uh, and one ruined suit of armor later. <laughs> uh, pretty torturous stuff. It makes player characters really cautious about crawling down those strange, unfamiliar cavern halls, uh, yeah. tunnels. And also looking up and taking notice. But, you know, speaking of the weird creatures, too, we also have to talk about the trust issue monster. The Mimic. Oh, yeah, and that's just one of them. Uh, that's the beauty of old-school D&D. Uh, and, and even in new school, they've kept the traditions. Uh, <laughs> the monster that makes you question everything. Yep. Uh, I used to feel comfortable about floors and ceilings. Um, lurkers and trappers fixed that. Lurker about tra trapper? Oh, geez, the trapper. Yeah, I used to feel comfortable about things like opening a chest. And then the mimic struck. Oh. Bit my arm off. Yeah. <laughs> Punched in the face by the chest that I was reaching into. Or the table. Yeah. Uh, we won't even talk about the latrine. Yeah. Oh, latrine mimics. Oh. 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 Uh, there's right. no crueler fate. Way to kick a man when he's down. Or the wine barrel. I got a bad case of the dungeon trots, and all I wanted was ten minutes of peace and quiet. <laughs> well, you ain't gonna get it. <laughs> oh, those are the those are the cruel tricks of Dungeons and Dragons that that just erode your degree of comfort and your sense of the safety with the familiar. You look around you in a room, you're like, oh, that's a bed, and that's a table, and over there is a chair and a desk. No, you can't be sure. Uh, that's a wonderful tension racer. Because oh, even yeah. the most innocuous-seeming rooms can be filled to the brim with danger. And once players know that, once they've had those experiences, they're keyed up anywhere they go, some of the time. Yeah, and we wonder why players, you know, burn everything first, you know. And then that's why they have trust issues. But I, I will sift the gold from the ashes before I get beaten up by a mimic again. Now let's talk about the doppelganger. 
Oh, a perfect trust issue monster. Doppelganger is a classic. Doppelganger check. Yeah. Ha! Gotcha. There isn't any. <laughs> there is no password. Well, you could have told me that before you shoved me in the pit and covered me in burning oil. Can't take any chances. Sorry, bud. <laughs> uh, doppelgangers. Uh, most people who played old school D&D remember them well. Uh, those who may have only just joined may not know all of the details, but the doppelganger is a, a race of clever creatures that can adopt the exterior form of pretty much anyone they see. Uh, any kind of bipedal mammal-type creature, they can shift form into that. And owed to a certain amount of ESP, they have a, a small, limited amount of knowledge regarding what that character they just hijacked the form of should do. You know, invasion of the Body Snatchers style. If you get a gang of doppelgangers, doppelganger gang, mm. uh, <laughs> it's, it's really nasty because they will immediately work towards removing a player character who is separated from the herd for a moment uh, and then send one of them in as... You know, in the form of that now kidnapped player character, and they might kill him or they might keep him. You never know. Uh, and that one in the party will then be looking for an opportunity to help capture a second or kill a second. Uh, and then two yeah. of the party members are doppelgangers. And, and how you really want three, to play it, it just gets worse and worse. How you really want to play it is you basically take one player aside and say, well, you're a doppelganger now, and you don't reveal anything else. And some people really like that because then they can, you know, kind of act against the party as a secondary agent or... Oh, yeah. I mean, you can... It's a DM's prerogative to decide whether you want to include the actual player in on the con or not. Uh, I personally think it's more fun to let a player have a role, uh, even if their character is out of action to give them a part to play. Mm -hmm. uh, that just really, to me, it raises the enjoyment level. Plus, you get to see their creativity when it comes to screwing with their fellow party members. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's that's a good one. Uh, the doppelganger is one of those fright fests that, you know, takes your player character away. And like you said, either sometimes they kill them, sometimes they don't. The player doesn't know. They could hold them for ransom or whatever the doppelgangers do. But no matter, it's not good. And... Um, Oh, doppelgangers can be employed, too. If you've got an evil wizard or an evil uh, adventurer with enormous power and clout, uh, you know, their contacts may have allowed them to acquire the services of a doppelganger, willing to, uh, you know, take the shape of somebody uh, for missions. They make the ultimate spies. Yeah. Uh, so you can trust nothing when a doppelganger is in the mix. And, you know, uh, as... D&D involved, you know, a lot of these things are kind of dirty tricks. You know, always <laughs> screwing with what the players view as normal and perceptive. But changing, challenging their ideas of the normative with something that's monstrous or sometimes even just disgusting like the uses and uh, slimes and stuff like that is also a good one for just the sheer kind of creepiness of the game. Yeah, that but, gunk of mushrooms growing up against the corner of the wall uh, could spell out the doom of the entire party. Oh, 
I mean, talk yeah. about black mold infestations. Oh, this yeah. dungeon's got yellow mold problems. I'm yeah. sorry, we're going to have to fumigate. Yep. Yeah, this will not give you a wet cough, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this will make you a yellow mold colony before the end of the week. You know, today it's, it's six inches now, but it'll be 35 feet by the end of the week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you especially don't want with, this. Especially with the traffic of the adventurers and passing wandering monsters through this area. Yeah, they just have to call that off. OSHA's going to have to close this dungeon um, for safety reasons. Yeah, yep. they're, they're, that one doesn't work. I'm afraid around. this dungeon is not up to code. <laughs> Do you know how much it costs to get a specialized team in here to get rid of this? Oh, Takes at least a fifth level mage to fireball it out. <laughs> and those guys don't work cheap. High level wizard problems. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as. You know, Halloween rolls around. We uh, we talked about the classic monsters, and we got a good uh, belton of the weird and spooky, the, as the well trust as trust issue monsters. Yeah, the trust issue monsters. Which, if you ever wonder why player characters attack everything, well, we only have ourselves to blame. <laughs> Anything you used like this can be, as I said, it was a, a kind of a DM dirty trick time. But players, you know, sometimes the old uh, hands would they try to get one over on you. Oh, I know what this is. And then you would challenge their perception of the normative, even in a game that seems to kind of have its own internal logic. The only logic to know is the DM is always out to screw with you. Yeah, I mean, let's be frank. I, I recently did a total D-bag move where I... Yeah, and I admit it. I'll own it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll just take it on the chin for this. I know what I did. All right. And it was I'm intentional. I'm going to say it's your job as a DM. You, know? I you don't make apologies. Used an illusion over top of a brown mold to make it look yellow so that they would attack it with fire. <laughs> of course. And, you know, the brown mold. Yeah. yeah. Instantaneous expansion. More power. More power. I love heat. Uh, it's a heat absorbent uh, opponent as opposed to the yellow mold, which is destroyed by fire. Uh, you know, one cunning use of illusion and one fairly simple creature mm. later... Uh, I had a massive challenge that the, the party had trouble with. Uh, all because of my innate duplicity. Otherwise, they would have waltzed right through it in a heartbeat. So, throwing a challenge in front of them that is more difficult than normal is part of keeping gameplay interesting. So, I'm not really sorry. I'm, I'm going to own it. <laughs> it. It is sneaky. It is underhanded. But it definitely added to having a good time because they really worked. You're like, oh man, what are we up against here? We're taking cold damage, but it's a yellow mold. Oh, that was fun. But I think we should probably end on aberrations, the super weird. Yeah, um, you know, D&D has uh, beholders. And, you know, of all the creatures that are WTFs, Beholders are the king of them. I mean, we can... <laughs> Here's a new look for you. One big eye. Just... <laughs> with ten what? little ones sticking out. Um, Each with its own unpleasant power you don't want aimed at you. What? Yeah, that, that's the... typically only a D&D yeah. thing. Like, you know, who dreams of stuff up? Well, welcome to the early days of, you know, where it was just it was a wide open expanse and Definitely, Beholders are a keynote of D&D, along with several other monsters, but the mm. most important one is that the Beholder represented a singular challenge that when you met it, oh boy, uh, your magic was partially nullified by that central eye, and it was turning to stone, disintegrating you. 
for high-level adventures, it was meant to be a thing that said, somebody's getting hurt in this fight. You want this loot from this room? You are going to pay for it in spades. This is coming out of your hides. Uh, so you entered seriously either in like subservient negotiations or you hit it with everything you had as fast as you could. Yep. Uh, it raised the danger level for high-level players. And it just didn't sit on the ground. It levitated. So it was yeah. out of melee range. So, you know, you had to use your missile weapons, which most people were... You usually had a, a couple people with some bows or that were good for it in the early days. But, you know, nowadays it's less of a problem than it was back then. Like, mostly people were kitted out for melee combat. And they had a couple ranged weapons as secondaries. But, oh boy, Boulder mm -hmm. levitates 60, 70 feet in the air and is just raining death and destruction upon you with its eye stalks and mocking you as it's doing so. And it's very intelligent. It's not going to sit there and fight with you. Yeah, it knows perfectly well that its bite is not its most serious weapon. Its eye stalks are incredibly dangerous, and that's what it's going to put to work. And it's going to do it from the safest position it can acquire. Uh, and being a smart monster, they're not going to chase you down a narrow hallway where you can use it like a speed bag. No, 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 no. You're going to have to come to it. And it'll just keep moving back while it zaps the daylights out of the front ranks of the party. And magic is pretty much useless because as long as it keeps its center eye focused on you, you're in that cone of effect and boy. Yeah. And it's always it's looking at the fun. person in the robes with the beard and the pointy hat. Well, I, I know we haven't covered as many aberrations as I'd like to and we're running low on time, but I, I gotta mention the Mind Flayer. Which, oh, yeah. talk about Cthuloid horror. Brain-sucking freaks! Yeah. Okay, just this this evil illithid, you know, this this under-earthed creature that lives in darkness, uh, with its little tentacles and its, you know, uh, it's it just kind of this robed nemesis that is expressionless and without emotion. It can it almost cannot be negotiated with in any way because unless you have, like, just one of them completely cornered. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is no way it considers you its equal. So these hyper-egotistical, monstrously sociopathic creatures well, alien. give the entire front rank of the party. All, the, all your tough guys get that psionic save. Uh, and so all your fighters got nosebleeds and migraines and are rolling around on the floor. And it goes to eat your mages and clerics, you know. <laughs> Just, yeah, the Mind Player was very powerfully psionic, and it definitely uh, used the psionic rules, which, you know, again, it was kind of one of those monsters that was your gateway drug into understanding and using psionics. And definitely they were powerful, and if you had a psionically active character, boy, they were in for a fight. Yeah. And also the part the power that they wielded to be able to transfer themselves to other planes and that they had an alien mentality, not just a sociopathic one, but an unending hunger for brains. And they felt that humanity was cattle, wasn't barely worth the mention of being sentient. So, you know, they view everything as hostile and beneath them, and there's no easy way to deal with them. And they've always kind of lurked in the darkest corners of the Underdark and dungeons. <laughs> and nobody and, likes them. Yeah, They don't even like each other that much. I mean, but look at them. I mean, I wouldn't... If I, I had would. to look in the mirror every day and see that, I'd be pretty bitter too. 
Yeah, intellectual ego supremists rarely get along with one another. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, a small enclave of, of mind players can come together for exacting purpose or whatnot. But yeah, the Illithid is kind of one of those proto creatures that uh, really put D and D. It's like there was some thought into that. But uh, as we run low on time, we'll probably revisit this sometime in the future. We'll yeah. definitely uh, talk about uh, oh, we'll monsters a, to some extent. We'll do a monsters special another time. But you know, this being the thirtieth episode. On the 30th of October, October, one day before Al Hallow's Eve. It just seemed right. And yes, it sure did. What a good time it was, too. Oh, yeah, and we appreciate you sticking around. And, of course, thanks for everybody for calling in and uh, listening in on us. And uh, let us know what you think, man. Uh, of course, we like to get feedback. And we've been getting a good amount on our Facebook page, on the Dice of Screaming. Oh, yes. And, uh, of course, we're on Twitter, uh, although we haven't seen much of you guys on Twitter. Um, I think uh, MeWe is probably a place we'll be looking to migrate here soon. So look for more news on that. And also, uh, when you can, make sure you drop us some applause if you like what you hear. And if you don't, hey, let us know if we're uh, not hitting the mark for you or you seem something that we're seeing something or hear something. I don't know if you can see us, but yeah, gee, yeah, I hope not. We're open to any form of legitimate criticism. Uh, I mean, also, we don't take ourselves all that seriously. Yeah. So, you know, if you're really, you know, I know everybody says, oh, no, I, I, I'd love your honest criticism. Oh, my God, you SOB, how could you Oh, that? yeah, how you oh, doing? Oh, give me oh, honest criticism. No, that's, that's not us, really. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Uh, we totally muffed that, you know, it, <laughs> uh, we would have to take ourselves a lot more seriously before uh, tips uh, on improvement would wound our feelings. So. Yeah, but we love you all, guys, all tens of you out there listening to us out. Happy Halloween! Yeah, happy Halloween. And, well, we'll close it out with that. And remember, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. Oh, 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 oh. We're out. See ya. See ya.